Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast by Georgia Organics. I'm Mary Elizabeth, Communications Director at Georgia Organics. Today, we're talking food policy and solutions with folks working at the national, regional, and local levels. First, John Piotti, the President and CEO of American Farmland Trust, an organization dedicated to influencing policy to protect and conserve farmland. After that, Catherine Kennedy and Nicole Fields of Concrete Jungle, based in Atlanta. They distribute neglected fruits and vegetables to those in need, and have recently been making grocery deliveries to the medically vulnerable during the pandemic. We're thrilled to share their work today. On our show, we also discuss a couple opportunities to connect with these organizations. First up, on Wednesday, April 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern, John Piotti is going to be in conversation with the Agriculture Secretary, Tom Vilsack. They'll be talking about the American Rescue Plan, a $1.9 billion relief plan for farmers, including $3.7 million dedicated to minority farmers. To register for this event and participate in a Q&A, visit farmland.org events. Concrete Jungle has several great volunteer opportunities in the coming weeks and months. You can learn more about these and register at concrete-jungle.org. Both of the links for these opportunities are in the show notes at atlfoodcast.com. Finally, Georgia Organics Farm to School team has an amazing opportunity for educators and school nutritionists starting April 26th. It's the 8th Annual Georgia Farm to School and Early Care and Education Summit with, drumroll, keynote speakers Leah Penniman and Matthew Rayford. More details at farmtoschool.georgiaorganics.org. And now, on with our show. In our first segment, American Farmland Trust President and CEO John Piotti shares the mission and current work of the organization in protecting America's farmland, environment, and farmers. American Farmland Trust, or AFT, advocates for regenerative agriculture and conservation at the national, state, and local level to influence farming policy for a better environment. Today, we discussed how the new administration is signaling meaningful intent for agricultural progress at the federal level with the upcoming Farm Bill in 2023 and the American Rescue Plan. These policy discussions include restitution for historically underserved and discriminated black and minority farming communities. On Wednesday, April 14th, John Piotti will be in conversation with the new Agriculture Secretary, Tom Vilsack, about these points. They'll be hosting a Teletown Hall online, and you can register for free at farmland.org slash events. Enjoy our conversation. Farmland Trust, John Piotti. Good morning, John. Thank you so much for joining us on the Atlanta Foodcast. Well, it's great to be here, Mary Elizabeth. Thank you and for you having are, me. Absolutely. And you are in D.C., correct? No, I am not. I'm in Maine. I'm in, at my oh, okay. home in the state of Maine. Uh, oh, our great. office, like a lot of offices, we've been functioning virtually for the last year. So um, I, I retreated home. That that must be nice to take a breather from, from D.C. And I'm, I'm sure the busyness 
of everything there. It, well, it is it is nice, and uh, we have a farm up here, and it's nice to be on that. But I'll tell you, it snowed here last night, so <laughs> there are some downsides to being in Maine rather than DC in April. Wow, quite yeah, quite a contrast. And and here in <laughs> in the outskirts of Atlanta, we're looking at a a week of in the in the mid seventies. So mm, yeah, <laughs> quite a range. Yeah, long way coming for us. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. Well, well, I'm so grateful for you joining us. And I'll, I'll mention too that American Farmland Trust, y'all have been a, a supporter, a sponsor of Georgia Organics. So we're really grateful for, you know, your support of our work and also just the work that y'all are doing. Um, give Thanks. us a bit of an introduction to, to American Farmland Trust or AFT as we'll, we'll refer to it sure. and what your work and mission is. Sure. Well, we've been um, around since 1980. And we were really the first organization that um, looked at agriculture and the environment as two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. um, in the 70s in particular, the agricultural community and the environmental community were at loggerheads. And in some ways they still are, but not nearly mm -hmm. at the level that they, they were back then. Um, and there was a feeling that uh, there needed to be some entity to pull those issues uh, together. Um, one of our founders, uh, uh, Peggy Rockefeller, served at the time on the board of the Nature Conservancy. And you know, the Nature Conservancy today does a lot of great work in agriculture, but they didn't back then. And, um, and she teed up this idea, can you get involved and started to work with farmers? And they said, no. And then she pitched it to some uh, um, agricultural organizations and they said no. And if you think about it, these kind of groups really define themselves at that point in time by what they were against. And they, they couldn't have a common ground to bring these two things together. So the only solution was to form a new organization. And it's a real testament to AFT that now groups like TNC, as well as ag groups like say the corn growers, um, TNC understands how farmers are stewards of the land and need to be part of the solution and corn growers understand how better environmental practices are critical to their future. So that is the legacy that AFT has left behind. Um, we immediately had a, because we were playing unique role, we almost immediately had an outsized impact on, on agricultural policy um, mm -hmm. resulting in the Farmland Protection Act of 1981. Uh, we were the force behind the conservation title to be incorporated into the Farm Bill in 1985. So all those programs that you hear about, be it CRP or EQIP or the ASEP Ag Easement Program, all of those had their origins at AFT, just being in this unique space of one foot in the environmental community and one foot in the ag community. Our mission has three prongs to it. Um, we're unique in that way. We're one of the few groups that really takes a holistic approach to the topic. So we are about the land itself and very concerned about making sure that land stays in production. It doesn't become house lots or shopping malls, but we're also very concerned about the practices that occur on that land. We were advancing regenerative practices 40 years ago and still do to this day. But for us, there's a third part as well, and that's the people, the farmers and ranchers who steward that land. If they, if they can't be successful, if they can't make a living on the land, it, it doesn't matter. Um, so we take this three-prong approach. Um, 
We help really create what we call the conservation agriculture movement. Um, that's resulted now in 7 million acres of farmland that's been permanently protected. Um, it's really advanced uh, better farming practices that restore soil health. And now it's become not exactly commonplace, but everyone's talking about regenerative practices. And the challenges with our farmers are, continue to be great. I mean, it's a hard industry. The margins are low. Um, we need to get a lot of young people into farming for the future to replenish uh, uh, the farmers who are retiring. Um, so a lot of challenges ahead of us, but we're proud of the work we've done and, and, and think that what is needed in the future um, is so important. Farming, we, we sometimes say farming is our future. If we don't get farming mm -hmm. right, can't have any hope for a sustainable future. So that's what drives us every day. We operate nationally. We have regional offices and about, um, we cover maybe 20, 25 states. Um, you mentioned Georgia or asked about Georgia. Oh, yeah. uh, we used to have a Southeastern office and did a lot of work down here. We haven't for 10 or 15 years and we're, we're trying to return to that. We did have a hand founding the Georgia Agricultural Land Trust, and they are one of the land trusts across this country, with, which is formally affiliated with, with um, AFD. They're a separate entity, but they're, they're affiliated with us. Um, but we haven't done a lot of work here recently, and we need to, uh, because Georgia, I think, is one of those places that both has great um, agriculture and great agricultural potential and is seeing... Uh, such a boon in development, which threatens the farmland. So it's yeah. a natural place for AFD to be more active. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's fascinating. And I'm, I'm glad you described too, kind of how how you're spread out. And, and I'd love to expand on how are you tied currently into policy creation, you know, sort of, sort of what's happening in the Beltway, I suppose, when it comes <laughs> to agriculture. Yeah. Well, we're involved with policy um, on multiple levels. So we do a lot of work with federal policy, which I think is what you're principally talking about. But we also do a lot of work in a few states and even sometimes locally on policy. And our state work has often led to um, national work. Uh, the states can be a, a laboratory for exploring new ideas. So in the Northeast and in California in particular, we've had a major focus on, on state policy. Um, and then sometimes even at the level of local zoning um, and issues like that, sometimes uh, subsets of states, regions, counties have state farmland protect or have their own farmland protection programs. So in all those ways we're involved. But a federal policy has really been a, a big thrust of our work from the very beginning, as I, as I mentioned. Um, most of our energies are oriented towards the principal uh, policy that um, drives farming issues. That's the Farm Bill. The Farm Bill is reauthorized roughly every five years. The last one was in 2018. The 2018 Farm Bill was pretty much business as usual. Um, the, the, the chairs of the respective House and Senate committee announced that at the, at the beginning of the process. This is not gonna shake things up. 
Um, there was one big change in it, which AFT, I think, was uh, in many ways responsible for. We did get uh, an additional $2 billion in funding for agricultural conservation easements. But that's really the only market thing that happened in the 2018 Farm Bill. We think the future of agricultural policy um, is going to see some major transformations. We have a new administration which is um, eager to make some changes. We obviously have the need for changes. I mean, it's easy. I could spend an hour with you talking about the problems in federal agricultural policy. This is not the place, but I think any observer will say uh, there's a need for some change. And, and another driver of this um, is climate change. And we, we all know that uh, farming is both a major contributor to uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but farming done right can also be part of the solution uh, by building soil health and sequestering carbon. And the new administration gets that. So I really think um, both with things happening right now in DC and with the next Farm Bill, which is probably gonna be authorized in 2023, which will be here before we know it, there are some major opportunities to um, elevate uh, and, and transform, reform agricultural policy, to have it be more oriented towards uh, environmental solutions, and to be honest to, or to be frank about it, to provide more benefit to some of the smaller farmers who yeah. uh, both need the help and are often some of our best farmers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's obviously critically important to the work that we do at Georgia Organics, and I know I know what y'all are seeing as well. And you know, the, um, you you dove right into it. What I want to talk about is just sort of the current state. You know, we have a new administration. We have a Georgian chairing the the Senate Committee on mm -hmm. Agriculture. Yeah, um, Scott, very exciting. Great. To exactly. See. So what? So what? You know. What, are, what should we be keeping an eye out for, especially when it comes to matters of, of small local farmers um, in this big policy, in the upcoming farm bill and other things happening at the, at, the, at the state and local and federal level? Yeah, well, I, I think many of USDA's current programs in theory work for farmers of all sizes and that's a good thing. Um, we need farms of all sizes, but uh, in practice, it's often harder for some of our small farms to take advantage of, of some of those programs. So one of the things that AFT is calling for is the creation of an office of small farms um, at USDA that would just, um, not to create another bureaucracy, but to have a few people who are just looking at all the existing programs and saying, okay, how is that helping some of our smaller farms. Mm -hmm. You know, when the pandemic hit, there were a lot of small farms, particularly those that have um, gone in the direction of direct marketing. Maybe, maybe, maybe they were selling uh, to schools or other institutions that were closed down. Maybe they were selling principally through farmers markets and those came back, but back last uh, March and April, a lot of those closed down. Mm -hmm. Those were farms that overnight basically lost their entire markets, yeah. and yet there really were not any programs out there to help them. You know, mm -hmm. AFT in our small way, in some ways it was more symbolic than anything, but we felt we needed to. Um, we raised a small pool of funds, ended up being about $1.7 million, mm -hmm. and we provided 
$1,000 grants, the 1,700 farmers in that category. Yeah. You know, $1,000 doesn't go that far, but I think people right. still appreciated it. And we did have some success stories. We'd have the, you know, the farm that had been selling to uh, wholesale to restaurants who would then take that $1,000, invest in a new website so he could sell direct to local consumers and they'd be aware of his product. So there were successes. I don't want to diminish the importance of it, but think what USDA that started distributing hundreds of millions of dollars of support to farmers, mm -hmm. what they could have done for some of these smaller farms. And they yeah. did relatively little. Um, most of that funding went to larger farms. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. they didn't need it either. All mm -hmm, of agriculture of was, and in some ways still is suffering, but we need to do more for the small and mid-sized producers. Yeah, I know that's something from our perspective we recognize as well. And it's funny you say that because Georgia Organics did a very similar thing through the Farmer Fund in Georgia. And we pooled together with several other, you know, local agriculture and environmental organizations, raised money. And, and exactly what you're saying, with $1,000 grants here and there, I think to about 70 or so Georgia farmers. And while that was, while we saw that be, you know, very appreciated and put to good work, it just seemed like such a shame that there wasn't a bigger safety net, that it did right. just come down right. to the Georgia Organics and the American Farmland Trust, you know, pooling dollars when there really needs to be mm -hmm. some more infrastructure support for situations like this. Right. This is hardly going to be the only disaster we see um, in this lifetime, so yeah. Yeah. Um, well, sort of on, on this topic, I know, let's see, on April 14th, which is a Wednesday, so Wednesday, April 14th, mm -hmm. you're going to be speaking with the new agriculture secretary, Tom Vilsack, mm -hmm. and this is going to be a, a interesting pandemic phrase, a teletown hall, although I suppose those are no, nothing new, but, but a tele, so a virtual town hall. Um, tell us some more about that. Can, can folks, can, if we've got farmers or other, you know, concerned citizens sure, listening we can would, they we would yeah. encourage folks to participate you do need to go register and i think you can probably show later sure. um, some information share it with with your listeners on Absolutely. how how to register but it's coming up right right away on 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 wednesday april 14th it will be yeah. at 8 p.m eastern time okay. and uh we'd love to have you participate and uh it will mostly be a conversation between me and and secretary vilsack but um, we'll probably have the bulk of the program, be an hour long program, uh, maybe 20 minutes will be me asking him some questions and giving him a chance for his perspective on both the, uh, you know, the American Rescue Plan, the latest yeah. relief package, and also where he hopes to take the department. And I'm going to mm -hmm. try to you know, get in some of, get of my thoughts about things that AFT thinks are important <laughs> and see his response. But then the bulk of the time, the remaining time will be uh, questions. And uh, so people who are on the call can be like a, a radio uh, talk show, right? And you can, yeah. you can call in. So I'd, in, I'd encourage uh, anyone who wants to participate to do so. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and for those who may not be aware, give us, a, give us a high level of the American Rescue Plan and what that entails, particularly as sure, relates to sure. farmers. Well, that is the, um, you know, that's the most recent relief package that just passed Congress. 
$1.9 billion. And it does have several things in there for farmers, um, some of them quite quite novel. There, there is, for instance, um, a, a fairly large pool of funds that targets uh, Black and other underserved uh, farmers, which is wonderful to see, um, both for uh, relieving past debt on FSA loans. Uh, and then there's a billion dollar pool um, that really uh, doesn't have a lot of strings attached um, for whatever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it will give the secretary an opportunity to do things to uh, target those farmers without having to go back to Congress and get specific authorization on, on creating this program or that program. He yeah. just has a lot of flexibility. So that's great to see. Yeah. Um, there's also a, a, a pool of funds to you know, support uh, farming generally. And you know, the, Trump, the Trump administration uh, provided a lot of support uh, to farmers over the last few years, mostly because they had to, because they created huge problems um, in, in trade, and then mm-hmm. they try to cushion that. And then the pandemic came. Um, and uh, again, it was great that some of that support was provided, um, mm-hmm. but it really wasn't always provided in the best way, and it didn't really serve all farmers. Yeah. Um, so I'm very hopeful that uh, the uh, American Rescue Plan and the flexibility that it provides the department um, will be different. And mm-hmm. Secretary Vilsack has certainly indicated um, that. He, he yeah. recognizes the need to have his programs uh, serve the entire spectrum of farmers. He's, everything I've heard and read, uh, he's very much committed to uh, supporting underserved farmers. And mm-hmm. he's very committed uh, to this notion of uh, farming as a way of um, combating climate change and helping provide environmental solutions. So I think both for the funds in the American Relief Plan and for the department going forward, we're going to have a focus on climate solutions. We're going to have a focus on um, historically underserved farmers. We're going to have a greater focus on small farms. Um, and those are all very welcome. Yeah. And it sounds like from your perspective, you are optimistic that these indicators will be acted upon. And I suppose things like this teletown hall are are a way of seeing that. I think from what I've witnessed, you know, there is a lot of there is a lot of optimism. But of course, with anything, you know, I suppose coming out of Washington, you have to just really dig in and be speaking to be speaking up in these situations. What what are things that that small farmers should be looking for? What are ways that they, and people that support them, right? Folks that shop from mm-hmm. them at the farmer's market and are politically active or, right. or, or are part of restaurants, restaurant groups where we're buying from local farmers. What is the best way to get your voice heard in these, while we have new, new folks, um, you know, in t- new folks in town who, who are ready to help? Yeah, well, it's a great it's a great question. And um, first off, I'll say that for people who uh, do get engaged, your voice is heard. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very easy to think that oh, what what good does me calling my my congressman? Um, what what impact does that have? But 
you'd be surprised that when mm -hmm. uh, when a member of Congress gets 50 calls, it actually does begin to make a difference. And and you know, I've been working with farmers and on ag issues for pretty much my my whole career, mm -hmm. um, over 30 years now. And one of the real sea changes of today compared to then is there's so many more people today who care about where their food comes from, who mm -hmm. understand some of these issues. Um, they've read about things, you know, maybe they've read one book and think they have all the answers. Yeah. Books can, you know, sometimes be a little, little dangerous too, uh, but they're engaged, they care and they speak up. And that's part of the reason why I said, I honestly do think the next farm bill can be transformational. Mm -hmm. Number of factors drive it, but one of them is it's no longer only farmers who care about agriculture. There's a yeah. huge group of other people, um, eaters, consumers, whatever you want to call him, them, who are also, also concerned. So yeah. uh, do talk to your, your members of Congress. Speak up in your state legislatures. It's incredibly important. States mm -hmm. have a huge bearing on this. And then what happens at the state often inform uh, federal federal policy. So, yeah. you know, Georgia is a great example of a state that um, has a lot of pressure on farmland, but does not have a well-funded state farmland protection program. Mm -hmm. Compare that to a state like New Jersey, which you think of as being pretty urban, but nice. New Jersey has protected, you know, hundreds of millions of acres of farmland in the last 30 years through state action. So yeah. at the state level yeah. and the federal level, your voice makes a difference. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not just talking about uh, talking to elected officials. It's also about being engaged in organizations. So mm -hmm. um, at the risk of being blunt about this, you know, <laughs> folks in Georgia should be part of Georgia Organics. They should yeah. be helping you deliver that message. At the mm -hmm. national level, they should become a member of American Farmland Trust. You know, your $25 dues, we, we're not making money off of that. It costs us more to send you our newsletter than that. Yeah. But there'll be one more person who is informed of the issues and yeah. will know what the right time is and what the right message is to deliver to people in Congress. So yeah. it's about speaking up, and it's also about being connected with organizations so you have the information to have it make a difference when you do speak up. Absolutely. Very well said. Um, and, you know, on as an evolution of that, I think another thing I'd like to talk about is, is you know, as part of the American Rescue Plan, there is we are seeing some some funding and indicators that efforts are being made to rectify past grievances against black and other black and indigenous and other minority groups in agriculture. Um, can you expand upon that? I'd love to see any progress you've seen on that conversation. I know, you know, the word reparations comes up frequently when it comes to, to land loss and land theft of, of minority populations and um, what are you observing in the space, both at the federal and state levels, as far as those conversations? Are they gaining traction, whether it's with the new administration or just with people realizing that this is a thing that has happened that is, is instrumental well, first, in where we are first today? Off, 
Um, it's a it's a critical issue, and if you look mm -hmm. at the statistics, and I don't I don't have them right in front of me, so I'll mm -hmm. I'll get some of them a little off. But yeah, if yeah. you look at the amount of farms that were owned um, by uh, black farmers a hundred years ago versus today. Uh, the number and the percentage has dropped precipitously. Mm -hmm. um, and that's for a whole host of reasons. But some of it has been because the U.S. Department of Agriculture um, has not provided its services in an equitable way. Yeah. Uh, some of that arguably um, was purposeful discrimination. Some mm -hmm. of it probably was unintentional, but didn't matter. It, sure. it, it happened. Um, so there's no question about it that we have a number uh, of underserved, historically underserved uh, communities in the United States when it comes to agriculture and agricultural mm -hmm. policies. And black farmers have been at the, at the top of that list. So doing something to try to uh, make up for that and to uh, make corrections um, is more than appropriate. It's necessary because we really need, um, I said earlier that at AFT, one of our lines is farming is our future. And we need to get more people involved in farming. We need to reduce the barriers to being uh, both entering farming and being successful in it. And there's a lot of people who call, want to be farming who, who simply can't enter the field because the margins are low and the cost of entry are high. So we need to do whatever we can to support uh, the both these underserved uh, communities and, as well as women, young people, mm -hmm. everyone who wants to get into farming, we need to do something. Yeah. And to the second question that you asked, am I seeing any change out there? I definitely am. People are talking about this in a way that, um, uh, I've, I've never heard in my 30 years of working in this field, and it's not just talk. I mean, we just discussed the American Rescue Plan. There's real money, serious money, to begin to make some change there. Um, at American Farmland Trust, you know, we've been plugging away for 40 years, and to be perfectly blunt about it, you know, we we, we've always tried to serve all of agriculture. We probably had a little bit more focus towards the little guys because we thought they were underserved, but we never really went out of our way to try to support uh, farmers of color. We never said no, but we didn't, we didn't really think about that. In the last three or four years, we've made a conscious effort with our own programming to do that. Um, and I think many organizations have done um, and uh, it's great to see um, having Representative Scott now as head of the uh, Ag Committee. I think is a great is a is a great step in in the right direction. Um, I think uh, Secretary Bilsack is determined uh, to move in this direction. I think bringing on a Dr. Jewel Brono as the Deputy Secretary and she is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to make a big difference. So I really think there are concrete real determined steps that are happening um, and it's gonna make a difference. And just to repeat what I said before, this is not only important because it's the right thing to do right. um, to be fair and equitably and make up for past injustice. It's also the right thing to do 
for agriculture. We yeah. need to make sure there's an even playing field and we remove those barriers to entry and we let everyone who wants to farm be successful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I think to, to wrap things up on a high note, that was, that was fantastic. And I appreciate your, your perspective on that. And, and two, just in general, the conversation on, on how and why it's so important that we really make our voices heard in this process, especially now, especially with the farm bill coming up. You're right. It'll be here in no time. Um, those conversations need to be happening now and that, that we can connect through, through platforms like the virtual town hall coming up um, here April 14th. So we'll be sure to include that. How can folks get, get further involved in American Farmland Trust? I know you mentioned membership. Um, I, I, I've also observed y'all have some great conversations. You recently had a conversation um, that, was, that was with AFT and an organization of uh, minorities in agriculture, natural resources, mm -hmm. and related sciences. I mean, yes. these are just fantastic conversations that are obviously so relevant and necessary. Yeah, how can folks find you all? <laughs> well, um, you should go to our website and we post uh, upcoming events and activities. And what you were referring to is one of many discussions that we have through uh, live stream events mm -hmm. we call free range conversation. Let's tell our uh, uh, town hall is also one of these free range conversations, but that will just yeah. be audio. But we do do these live stream uh, video events. Um, we do them, oh, no, almost every month at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, but go to our website. So American Farmland Trust, that's easy, easy. Just Google us, easy to find. Yeah. Um, get a bumper sticker. You know, we are the <laughs> folks behind the iconic green and white, no farms, no food bumper sticker. So We'd love yep. to give them out. We've circulated close to 2 million of those over the years. Um, we'll give you a free bumper sticker. You don't have to become a member to get a bumper <laughs> sticker, but we would love you to become a member for the reasons yeah. that I said before. And then you'll be um, provided, we won't hound you for money too much, mm -hmm. but we will <laughs> We will give you information and let you know about events and, and uh, opportunities to influence policy as they arise. That's great. So I'm, I'm thinking of, of some kind of motto, come for the bumper sticker, stay for the advocacy or something like that. I love it. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's amazing. I know I, I feel very motivated hearing from you, especially hearing, you know, for folks that, that your voice really is heard. Um, I think it's it it feels very important right now with the new administration, with some fresh faces in Washington and with you know a, a renewed interest in conservation and, and equity and everything. This feels like a really, really uh, a, a rich time, if you will, to use a soil analogy, a really rich time to be involved in the political system when it comes to agriculture and the environment and the well-being of our farmers. I think that's what we're both here for ultimately. Indeed. No, you awesome. said it well. Well, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate your time and and I'm excited to, to connect folks with this town hall with Secretary Vilsack. I think that'll be an, an, an exciting opportunity to see what's happening. Agreed. Great. Well, thank you, Mary Elizabeth. Really, really appreciate it. Mapping, harvesting, donating, and now delivering. 
In our second segment, we catch up with Catherine Kennedy and Nicole Fields-Kyle of Concrete Jungle. Concrete Jungle and its volunteer army connect Atlantans in need with overlooked and underused fruits and vegetables from thousands of fruit trees around Atlanta and now Athens. To date, they've donated over 374,000 servings of fruits and vegetables to local food banks and shelters. Today, we talk about their origin story and their evolution as they grow to secure food for hundreds of vulnerable Georgians with their grocery delivery program during the COVID-19 pandemic. One year later, this program has exploded to serve hundreds of Metro Atlantans providing not only food, but also essential community connection. To learn more, visit concrete-jungle.org and enjoy our conversation. Well, good morning. And um, we're in our, our second portion of the Atlanta Foodcast. And I'm here with some awesome folks and some good friends, Catherine Kennedy and Nicole Fields-Kyle of Concrete Jungle. Hey, y'all. Howdy. Hey, good to be here. Where are y'all dialing in from, respectively? Uh, I'm in Cabbage Town in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Also in my house, but North Decatur area. Well, I'm so excited. We're finally speaking with y'all. I know I've enjoyed doing Concrete Jungle uh, projects and volunteer opportunities for a while now. Um, For folks who might not be aware, give us kind of the the rundown of what y'all are all about and the kind of work that you do. Sure. Uh, Concrete Jungle is starting our 12th year, um, which is just mind-blowing to me. (laughs) But we started really just as a group of friends that were picking fruit that was growing wild throughout the city. Our founders, Aubrey Daniels and Craig Durkin, um, got a cider press and they wanted to make cider, but they didn't want to spend money on buying hundreds of pounds of apples. So they started looking around the city for the fruits that they could find. And they were just amazed at the incredible abundance of food that just grows wild. And, uh, you know, they found apples, pears, plums, peaches, muscadines, um, mulberries, service berries, persimmons, pomegranates, tons of things. So they started mapping it, which is actually a, um, an online public resource that anybody can take a look at on our website. Um, they started mapping trees and started collecting friends and then putting it out on social media, like, hey, we're gonna go pick uh, mulberries in Eastlake. And folks just started showing up because it's really fun, as you know, Mary Elizabeth, to climb a tree and shake a tree and just watch fruit rain down on you. And you can collect so much food in such a short period of time. You know, like I think one of our biggest fruit trees that we pick every year is a pear in um, Virginia Highland Morningside area. And it yields like a thousand to 1200 pounds of fruit every single year. And it's growing in the right of way in between the sidewalk and the street. So not a ton of land, but just really deep roots and really, really productive. So, you know, that's kind of the basic principle behind Concrete Jungle is that there is an abundance growing all over this city. Why not take it and use it to feed folks in need? Because, you know, the reality of living in the South, the reality of living in Georgia is that we have incredibly high food insecurity rates 
And if anybody's volunteered at a soup kitchen or a food pantry before, you know, the thing that you least frequently see there is uh, fresh produce, you know, most of it's canned boxed things, which makes all the practical sense in the world. You know, you can store it for a long period of time. Produce requires a lot more care. Um, So we found that there was just an incredible abundance, but there's also a really, really deep need, you know, and the reality of being food insecure is you're two to three times more likely to have diet related chronic disease. So why not connect these dots between this amazing amount of fresh, healthy food and this need for access to it in um, food insecure communities in Atlanta. So it's kind of a, you know, once you start like pulling at the tangle of like of, okay, so there's abundance here in Atlanta, you start to realize like there is abundance everywhere and Concrete Jungle has kind of grown and spread our fingers across the state now. You know, we have a small farm in Southwest Atlanta. Yeah. We um, go outside of the city and we harvest from larger scale farms when they either have uh, food at the end of their season or they have imperfect produce that they just can't sell. We'll go with volunteers and pick it and donate it. we have a satellite branch in Athens now. So they're doing similar stuff to what we're doing here, picking in the city. Um, and we are now actually even purchasing some produce from larger farms in South Georgia to uh, bring up its imperfect produce. So it's too big or too small, or it's just not fit for what um, traditional retail markets like Kroger want to see. So we yeah. buy it at the cost at a cost of farmers and then we bring it up here and we sell it at cost to nonprofit partners. Um, so, you know, we found the more that we kind of look around, the more there is food that needs to be moved and needs to get yeah. into the hands of the people who really need it. Yeah. It's such an incredible model. And I know, you know, from my perspective as a, as a sometimes volunteer, you know, it's just such a, f- it's, it's fun, right? Like you said, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's sweaty sometimes there's some pretty hot days there, but, but it's fun. And then it's so impactful to, to feel so like resourceful, right? Like these are, these are kind of overlooked. This is overlooked produce and to know that it's then going to go to good hands that, that really need it. Yeah. I know too. Another thing that that's, it's really helped me connect with the city. Um, there were, it was a couple months ago that, that y'all were trying to, to kind of do some, um, oh my gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some sourcing to see if there were some new trees like out and about. Um, and I, I don't know, I ended up like, it was a Sunday afternoon, ended up driving like to Tucker and then to like Dunwoody and sort of like, you're, you're an explorer, right? You're like digging through to see like, oh, there's the pear tree they were talking about. Um, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And, and to know that it's got this bigger impact, I think is incredible. And, and to see the way that y'all have grown, I mean, that you're now in Athens um, and to, you know, going on these trips outside of the city. I'm curious, how do those relationships come about? Like when I know one of the last um, sort of trips that I did with y'all was down to sort of, I think it was South of Albany, it was the core, we were gleaning corn. Um, how do those, how do, how do folks get in touch with y'all to say, hey, we've got excess of whatever it is. We need some volunteers. 
this is kind of that like tangled ball of string that I'm yeah. describing. Like you just start pulling at one end and you find things. So it's all about relationships. It's all about, you know, <clears throat> we have a relationship with a farmer over here and they know somebody, you know, in West Georgia. And so it really has just been, <clears throat> excuse me, spending time in the community. Um, yeah. You know, my background is in farming. And so I think that spending some time with farmers across the state, specifically in West Georgia and then North of Atlanta, that's kind of helped me to have a little bit of an understanding of the lay of the land, but also how to communicate with farmers and ask gently, do you have anything you don't want to sell or you can't sell? Um, But we're also a part of this association of gleaning organizations. So technically we are a gleaning organization, which is this old timey term for collecting uh, food from, you know, the corners of your field. I think it's like a, a biblical slash Torah rabbinical term. Oracle term Um, and they and so there's a group of us across the U.S. and Canada that do similar work and so actually that corn pick down in um, Sylvester Georgia was from a gleaning organization in Florida that said hey we glean from this farm in Florida but they also have property in Georgia y'all should reach out to them and see if they have anything Um, and that farmer just, he, he does it every year. You know, he, he actually plants a little bit extra because he wants to make sure that he wow. can feed his community. So um, that is purely intentional. That's not happenstance. And then, you know, that's great for us because we can really plan around that because that's a big pick. You know, we mm-hmm. ask folks to drive two and a half to three hours to come down to South Georgia, but we try to make it fun. You know, like, yeah. I don't know if you were able to join last year, but uh, folks went swimming in a swimming hole and then um, ate at a Mennonite cafeteria. Is that right? Oh, yeah. uh, there's bonnets <laughs> and suspenders and uh, different dialects being spoken, but incredible food. Um, Yoder's Deutsche House in Montezuma, Georgia. If you ever get the chance to go, you have to go. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I've always loved who I connect with on the volunteer trips too. Like it's the most, you know, we're all passionate about food and, and what it can do in communities. So it's amazing. And on that note, I definitely want to transition to speaking to something that y'all launched almost exactly a year ago, right? During, during COVID and that's the grocery delivery program. Um, And Nicole, I want to hear from you on this. And I also want to just like side note, shout out that Nicole is a Georgia Organics alum. We miss you dearly, but excited to see your, your next steps. So yeah, tell us, tell us about the program. Give us the, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, great to chat. Great to be back in the Georgia (laughs) Organics loop a bit. I uh, came to Atlanta to do my uh, master's of public health program and have the opportunity to intern at Concrete Jungle and Georgia Organics at the same time. uh, So it was a great deep dive into the local food scene here. Um, Yeah, so really a year and some change ago, right, when we were all starting to to perk up and understand that this COVID thing was real and was gonna be a big impact and a shift, but we had no idea what it was yet. 
uh, we, we started to get concerned really uh, first and foremost for our partner organizations who serve the recipients of our produce. So before COVID, uh, Concrete Jungle mainly distributed our produce to partner agencies in the city. So uh, soup kitchens, pantries, um, transitional housing facilities, different folks who are in direct contact with community members who needed this produce. So uh, we were sort of, you know, passing it to a middleman who was getting it to the community. Um, and we weren't so much in direct contact with individual recipients. Um, so we, we became very familiar with how they work. We would do recipe demos in their pantries. And, um, and something that became very clear is that our pantry partners were not gonna be able to continue to mm. operate and actually got an order from the city most of them to shut down and with no further directives. And, you know, because they're working in confined spaces, they're serving sometimes 200 individuals in one morning who are coming into a small church space and getting their groceries and walking or taking public transit home and uh, very high risk environment, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and, and they needed to shut down. And uh, that didn't mean that the need for their food was going away. And something that folks may not realize is that the folks who are patroning uh, food assistance programs uh, are already very high risk. Uh, the way that poverty and food insecurity works, unfortunately, is that the demographic is folks who are older, over 65 a lot of times, folks who uh, are suffering from chronic health conditions, some of them food and diet related like diabetes, hypertension, and uh, in other ways, immunocompromised. So the folks who are needing to go to the pantry are the folks who are at the highest risk of this new virus that we had no idea really the implications of it. So uh, we're dealing with a high risk community and now uh, a big source of their, their food is going away. And uh, I remember to this day, the call that Catherine gave me and our other uh, work study student at the time of like, we gotta figure out what to do to help them because they're, they're, they shut down for a week, but they know that the need's there. So the pantries are gonna open back up and we have to figure out how to help them do it safely. Uh, and one of Concrete Jungle's biggest assets is our volunteer, like army, we call it. Uh, we engage over 2,000 volunteers every year now. Wow, and I didn't it's folks, huge. like you said, who are, yeah, uh, it's, it's epic. And, you know, it's definitely gone up because of the grocery delivery program. But these are folks that, like, do crazy things with us. They're willing to climb trees. They're willing to drive two and a half hours to pick corn in the hot July sun. Uh, and you know, go to a swimming hole that's off the map with us. They're they're pretty willing to to go wherever we ask them and have a big trust in us. So Catherine really believes that we could mobilize our volunteer army to do some good and to support our partners. And we really had no idea what that looks like going into it, but uh, it turned into one rainy morning, us showing up at the at the pantry and walking down the line and telling clients, hey, you've probably heard of this new COVID thing. You're probably high risk and shouldn't be at this pantry right now. Give yeah. us your address and we'll deliver your pantry bag to you next week. And we find 20 people up that first morning. By the end of March, we were delivering to 90 households. Uh, and all like volunteers, board members, uh, random people just going to the pantry, getting pantry bags and going to the people that we had addresses for and dropping off their pantry food. Uh, we, 
we were put on the United Way help, uh, you know, the 211 hotline uh, mm -hmm. in March and like 60 calls in one hour. <laughs> one wow. of our part-time staff was building from people who just needed food, who were, you know, quarantining because they, they were high risk. They had no idea of what to do, but the only directive was to stay home. Um, and by the next month, it was 270 families. And by the height of this program in June, we were serving 400 households every single week. Uh, and, you know, that obviously blossomed to us uh, starting to purchase food. Mm -hmm. uh, so in addition to the produce that we harvest and that we source, uh, we started to purchase uh, staples like, um, you know, not just not just the, the shelf stable items, but every other week we provide meat and dairy. Uh, yeah. So lots of things that are outside of the concrete jungles wheelhouse. We just figured out how to do it because at the time back in the early days of the pandemic, no one else was really doing it. Uh, no one had any idea what was, what was going on. So uh, with the help of our volunteers, we were able to figure it out. And uh, a year later, we're still serving uh, just around 300 families every single week. That's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, I love, I love the story of how you just got it started by, by telling folks like, it's okay, you can stay home, we'll come to you. Um, you know, if you want us to do that, that's, that's incredible. I have so many questions because it just, it seems like such a, an impactful program. Have you had any just amazing stories come out of it? I mean, I'm sure um yeah this is such a special thing to offer people yeah I'll let Catherine tell her favorite story in a minute but we've had so many uh so many unique uh experiences and the opportunity to get to know uh the community that we were serving before but really had no personal touch with but one of our volunteer opportunities are uh weekly callers so they call all of our clients every week just hey heads up your groceries are still coming on Saturday. Do you have any feedback for us? How are you doing? And amazing relationships have blossomed out of those calls of folks who are also quarantining and staying home and wanting to help, but uh, can't go out to do it uh, and are making these weekly calls to other folks who are on their own and don't have, um, don't have anyone at home and are going through this alone. And uh, just that, that very human connection that's happened between our volunteers and the clients that we're serving, uh, even if it's just, you know, a driver who drops off the groceries at the front door every, every week and the kids come out and they say hi to them. And yeah, we've got kids who like made birthday cards and thank you cards for some of our <laughs> volunteers, like really amazing, sweet stories of uh, those personal relationships being formed. Um, but it's also been really heartbreaking work. Uh, we've, we've had people who, as we're enrolling them, say, I'm opening my last can of food right now. So I'm going to wow. figure it out until you can get to me, but thank you for coming. You know, uh, it didn't take long before we started to lose our first client to COVID. Oh, wow. And that was so hard because these are families that we, um, we didn't, we didn't know very much and we're just bringing them food, but we felt that connection to them and, uh, wanted to figure out how to support their families or their loved ones. But, uh, that was the extent of our relationship. So it was really, uh, really heartbreaking work in the beginning, but time and again, we're, we, we were renewed in it by all these sweet stories uh, from, from our volunteers and from our clients personally. Wow. 
Catherine, uh, did you want to tell that story? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what that that story is, but I do. I mean, I think that the thing that we didn't intend to come out of this is that <clears throat> I think our volunteers have benefited as much from this program as the families that we're serving. Um, you know, like there's a there posted an interview with a volunteer and he was like, I have a new family now. Like I have an extended network and a family because of this program. Um, and, you know, I think for so many people doing deliveries and driving to parts of Atlanta that they've never seen before, it sort of goes back to what you were saying, Mary Elizabeth, about like, well, I never thought these fruit trees would grow in Tucker. I think yeah. for a lot of people doing grocery delivery and seeing like, I've just never driven to this part of Atlanta and I didn't know what poverty looked like in Atlanta. And it, yeah. it's very, very real, very, very quickly when you're out doing deliveries. Um, yeah. And I just, I think that the volunteers have developed relationships like on their own above and beyond what we've ever asked, but, you know, mm -hmm. buying Christmas presents for folks, you know, when people are like being threatened with eviction, like volunteers have jumped in to be like, okay, like I'm going to help. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out how we can help keep, <clears throat> keep you from being evicted. Um, right now, the callers brought to us, like, we need to get these people vaccinated and we want to help because yeah. that's kind of the most pressing concern right now is that the community that we serve needs a vaccine more than anyway. It's a high risk community, but unfortunately, um, because all of our community, most of our community lacks transportation and a lot of them lack the internet. Mm -hmm. That's how you go and get your vaccine. You sign up for a vaccine on the internet and then you drive yourself to a vaccine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the callers are like, we can do this. Like we want to help. And so this group of volunteers is like collecting data. We've had other volunteers say we want to, you know, we'll hit refresh a million times on the Kroger website or the Department of Health website until we can find an appointment for the clients that need the vaccine. And I think, yeah, you know, it's just, we didn't expect that like the next phase of this would be like now our vaccine enrollment program. Um, yeah. And we're going to continue yeah. to deliver food until we know that every single one of our families is safe. But yeah, now, you know, the more you get to know these families, the more you realize that hunger and food insecurity is just like a symptom of a much, much bigger problem. And all of these families have a lot of a lot of things that they could use support on. And if our volunteers or if we're able to support, we want to support and then whatever way we can. Yeah. Yeah. I love that sense of just going where the need is and, you know, that it would start with food makes total sense. I think food is just such an essential bridge across communities and, and a signifier of much, yeah, like you're saying, much bigger systemic changes that need to happen. You know, I'm curious as we wind down, what, Oh, again, several, this is just such a, such an incredible program and, and so incredible to watch y'all evolve into it too. Um, how, how can folks get involved from a, from a, I guess, whether it's a funding standpoint, surely being a volunteer as well is helpful, but like, I'm sure that funding is critical to keeping this work going from the purchasing of the, the, uh, dairy and meats like you're talking about, you know, what, what infrastructure are y'all building out or need support in to keep it going? That's a great question, Mary Elizabeth. 
from nonprofit to nonprofit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the middle of a spring resource drive right now. So we are um, we are trying to build up our resources to keep the grocery delivery program going until we know all of our families are safe, but also to be prepared for the season. Like fruit is coming fast. Like it's going to be 80 something degrees today in Atlanta. And I think mulberries are just breathing down our neck starting in <laughs> the beginning of May. We're going to have a lot of fruit to pick. Um, and we're going to continue our regular programming, the, you know, our core programming as we continue with the grocery delivery program, hopefully evolve it into um, a more permanent produce focused program, but we're hoping this spring to raise uh, $15,000 through individual donors. So um, you can go to our website and make a donation of any amount that hugely helps us. Um, and it's a lot of it is going to sustaining this program, but also, you know, giving us just the seed money as yeah. it is for uh, starting our fruit picking season. Um, we do need volunteers every week. We're engaging about 150 volunteers in different ways for concrete jungle activities, a lot of grocery delivery program activities, but like I said, fruit season is coming up soon. Um, and we're in the middle of a food drive as well. That's the other resource that we need. So folks can donate, um, canned items and I can share, we can share a flyer with you if you have a way Great. of posting it just so folks Absolutely. can see our high priority items. Um, and those can be dropped off at our distribution points on Saturdays in Decatur and in Pittsburgh. Awesome. Awesome. I'll also say too, y'all just have such a good, um, email. Like it's so good to email list because you, you don't bombard with emails, but the emails you send are really helpful. They're either like, you know, exciting announcements of, of, of gleaning trips, like the one at the end of April, which I'm super excited about the camping trip down in, what is it, North Florida, I think, like right oh. yeah, and then also just some of the stories of the grocery delivery program, so I'll definitely include, you know, your website, I know also social media is great to follow of y'all's, um, what, what is your website, again, I'll list it on in our show notes, uh, it's, <clears throat> sorry, concrete-jungle.org, Great, great. Well, I'm so grateful for the work that y'all are doing and, and that I've uh, been able to be a part of somewhat as a volunteer. I know, you know, being a volunteer with Concrete Jungle and, and talking with other Concrete Jungle volunteers and there's just an enthusiasm. Like once you start volunteering with CJ, you're just, I'm just, I just find myself always raving about y'all's work and and I just can only imagine it will continue to grow and expand and especially because you're following the need. So great work, sending lots of support. And I hope that, that folks listening will also, you know, really pick up on the significance of y'all's work and just the joy of being a part of it too. Any final- Thank you so much. That's, <laughs> yeah, it's really nice to hear and um that we're doing what we want like we want to be luring people in through volunteerism and so I'm glad to hear that you know you start with that and you sort of learn more about about the needs that you're serving absolutely well is there anything that we missed otherwise we'll go ahead and close out and and urge people to go join the army <laughs> enlist in the concrete jungle army <laughs> yeah come find us at your local fruit 
three. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Well, thank y'all. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great talking to you. That's our show for today. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Atlanta Foodcast. If you're feeling inspired to connect further with today's guest, you can find their links and social media in the show notes at atlfoodcast.com. And to learn more and connect with Georgia Organics and become a member, visit georgiaorganics.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you in another two weeks.